advice I have for someone trying to succeed in the film industry or any creative space is if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. Welcome to Around the Craft Table, a podcast by film students about movies, making movies, and other stuff. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Season 2 of Around the Craft Table, uh, Episode 2. Joining me tonight are my friends Adam. Hey. Jermel. Hello. And Miranda. Hey. How's everybody doing? Pretty good. Tired. Pretty good. I'm not doing too bad. Same here. Um, so on the docket for tonight's show, it's just sort of a freeform discussion around the idea of... Um, craft table. Exactly. Craft tables and and quite literally food in this case, um, and how that all conceptually relates to the responsibilities of independent filmmakers and independent artists to do better, to strive to do better and, and take risks where the um, big money players and the major league establishments would be afraid to take risks and to tell stories in ways that they would be afraid to because those ways may not make money. Um, this this idea sort of stems from an essay piece that I did that we will be releasing in advance of this episode coming out around the death of um, Anthony Bourdain and what his content, to me at least, in my opinion, meant to um, both me individually and both me, uh, and both me, I'm stumbling over myself already here we go uh to me individually as a person and then to me as an artist um and how his work strove to sort of in its own way elevate the medium of of reality and food television you guys have heard it i'm interested to hear your thoughts uh i'll take the first little stab here uh just having uh, listened to it before like a classic uh, university student even though I've graduated doing it to the last minute it was good to hear something about just uh, taking risks I feel like this would be a very good like sort of last lecture if you will where the floodgates have sort of been open and the idea is that like like you put the idea in your head that like you can do better and that you have almost have the responsibility to do better and that in in many cases in at this stage just sort of um, like being an emerging filmmaker the worst thing you can do and waste everyone's time with is by playing it safe i agree and i think even being good enough to some degree is is also a bad um path to take depending on what uh the individual defines as quote unquote good enough. Totally. Yeah, I just I, I, I felt like in many ways, even though uh I was last to hear it, it was like you were talking to me, Miles. Oh. I I've it was like a nice little like dad lecture, but like not from your dad. I mean, so you know you listened. Thank you, I think. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> it, it it was <laughs> Papa? Uh you know. 
uh it was just it was just good to hear and just it was nice to be sort of reminded of uh your responsibility to yourself to be better and to not just fall into like what you should do or what other people think is good i think the idea is like especially uh relating it to anthony bourdain and his uh, like like making food sexy and everything it's definitely like taking something that you believe in and like running with it and actually like really going with it yeah for sure trying to tell like your stories and tell them your way exactly i think i think as uh one thing that i was thinking about a lot while listening to uh to your podcast essay miles it was kind of thinking about you know the constant pressure that if you're in film school or if you're in any sort of arts school focusing on creating in general is the pressure that you put on yourself looking at you know some of the things that you look up to as an artist and thinking that you have to achieve those same things where in reality it's that very element that you want to try to avoid it's like trying to be you know trying to push the envelope trying to be unique doing something different and, and and lending your own unique and very valuable perspective to your art which i think people it takes you a little while to really like um you might you might look at things and say i want to do this and you might know that it's important but it takes a long time to connect with that part of yourself and i feel like um that these shows that you talk about or these kind of the media you talk about in um in the uh in that mini episode kind of do that really well for sure i i feel like um you're right miranda there's a constant struggle between and it's sort of weird where i feel like in in my case at least film school was kind of an unconscious pushing of like an education in terms of here's what's worked for 30 years here's what's going to make you money go do this but also go take risks and it's like well which one do you want from me do you want me to take a risk or do you want me to do you want me to eat like i feel like those two things um aren't necessarily especially when you're first starting out the idea of being able mm -hmm. to pay your bills as a filmmaker or an artist and still taking risks with the way you go about paying your bills aren't aren't a thing that easily match up with one another. Yeah. No, totally. There was definitely, I think, prior to, <clears throat> I would say probably 2010, there was a very different sort of outlook on, especially the film school and just how it was looked at in terms of education. Yeah. I think it's it's growing exponentially. Um, it's evolving exponentially, and I think that it's coming to a place where it's going to really change. But that's a different topic. For sure. But yeah. Jermel, do you have anything that you uh, want to talk about in response to Miles's the the little acid thing? Rant? Yeah. So yeah. I guess two things. One specifically for Anthony Bourdain's thing that I watched. Um, I think what I liked about his stuff was he always made it seem like the thing that you're watching is like food for your eyes. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm 
Yeah, totally. It's like something that you're visually consuming rather than just um, passive. See, yeah, passively uh, watch. Like you're con- you're actually consuming what is being shown on screen, you know. Uh, and that's something that I don't really know if anyone does it the same way. Because you're right. If I compare other food shows, I don't watch a lot of them, but the ones that I have seen, all the other ones, you kind of just you watch it and you go, huh interesting yeah uh this one specifically you know you they do it in a way where it's almost like it's structured in that same way that you would if you were at a a restaurant you know you would have the appetizer then you would have the uh the course meal then you would have the dessert so on and so forth it's it's structured in a way where it's easy to consume but never feels like okay i know what this is about uh i'm good like i get it this yeah. one is like you get a little bit. It's like, ooh, okay, okay, what's next? Ooh, okay, that's good. And then you get something else, and then you get something else, and then it's done. And it's like, oh, that was satisfying. Yeah, it feels like a full course meal, doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like a full course meal. And whether that's you know just me interpreting it that way, or if it's intentional, either way, it's how it's perceived and it works in the context of the show. So that's my take on that. Um, but in terms of the bigger picture stuff outside of the show and how it relates to quote unquote being better, kind of funny because it's kind of an ongoing meme, right? With people where it's like you screw up and someone says, "Oh, I'm sorry," and then someone goes, "Don't be sorry, be better." It's kind of funny saying it that yeah. way. <laughs> be better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, just you know, just can you do that again, but uh, like better this time? It's kind yep, of funny, exactly. uh, jokingly directing your actors that way. But anyway, I've done it seriously. It's pretty funny. <laughs> so, in my opinion, it's definitely like something that's kind of difficult to do, because being better is super subjective, and it's hard to really grasp what would be better. Um, so I think I think to some degree it's subjective, but to some degree, I kind of disagree. Sorry to cut you off. Just I think I think that like, while it is incredibly subjective, by and large, I think we know what to use another cliched phrase. I think we as viewers know what next level qu- content quality content looks like. Like you look at a movie like John Wick, for example, to go completely in the opposite direction and say ma- and go mainstream for a second. You look at John Wick and you go. It's a mainstream Hollywood action film, but it steps up. It steps up to that next level, and it tries mm-hmm. to be better than the the vast majority of the action films that are on the market these days. I'm thinking that uh, there's a combination of sort of a lot of a lot better effort and like risk taking, like like that 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 like magic middle of effort and risk taking ends up becoming what we're talking about here where it's you putting out that that time that like like that drive that heart behind it mixed in with that going off that little beaten path like taking something and really just pushing it that little bit further yep. seems to be exactly what we're talking about see it equals better i guess exactly. to pl- put it plain and simple it would be effort <laughs> plus risk equals better exactly yeah 
like what I, what I was going to say when Jermel was talking about food for your eyes and kind of like the full course meal kind of ideas like and and then and then what Adam what you just said is like you know pushing it to be better it's like um you have you know your standard food show that's like buy this food or make this food but you know buy these ingredients to make this food our way it's like you're looking at this show and instead of thinking oh well I have to buy these ingredients to make this food if I want to make the food and 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 you know follow the steps and whatever but you're not even really like taught too much about how to make the food it's more about you know the background of why the food's there um and where it comes from in the culture and and it doesn't make me want to you know make the food at my in my house in my country it makes me want to travel to where the food is to eat the food there because there's a value to it being from that place and with those people you know totally. like and i feel like that's what um anthony bourdain shows and his um and just the world that his his uh his team has has built through these through these episodes of these shows is that like this this intrigue about like a, a place from another you know like food from another place equals new unique intriguing and like this is why it it matters this is why it matters to connect with people not just over food but over common ground and this is how we can unify people and 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 bridge bridge our, our gaps totally so like i feel like it it goes beyond food in in so many ways um and that's why i think this show does it better than or these shows do it better than any any other um, food show that I that I've seen. For sure. To prop to proposition you guys with the question there, um, do you think that an important part of the sort of like like Jamel used the term like 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 eye like food for your eyes? Um, do you think that there's creating that sense of like belonging? Miranda, you talked about it where. Uh, you wanted to go and be a part of it, creating that feeling that you needed to be a part of something that to the point where you would get up and leave your life and like where you are, your common, like, wh like where you spend all your time to go be a part of something that creating that sort of sense of you need to be there. You need to come and see this, I guess, um, not to, not, not to use another show's name, but you got to eat here kind of deal. Do you think that that's important to like, the to the whole thing i mean like potentially it, it could it could encourage people to travel but i don't think it's about that as much as it is about you know your your average you know american or north american family sitting at home watching a show and going wow i didn't know they did that in brazil or wow i didn't know they did that in japan or anything like that you know and and just going i didn't know that they had that and just just thinking that's something that we have in common and the next time that I connect with someone of that background, that culture, with that food, I won't feel as different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think that's more about what I'm getting at. It, it isn't about encouraging tourism in the area, which I'm sure the shows have done, but it's it's more about just the common ground that connection that i think is what i'm talking about would you use the term enlightened like like that you get that little like oh okay yeah it's like a light bulb where you yeah. where you finally realize you're not so different i think or you are different and to celebrate exactly that. i was gonna say that's okay to be different yeah, yeah. 
Totally. And I think, how, um, off of these points that we've talked about so far, how that all, again, how that all relates to um, storytelling and in cinema, for me at least, is, is we, and I say we, I mean uh, the independent filmmaking community, we need to um, spend time in situations that are different and that are new, much the way that these show, you know, content like Mr. Bourdain's encouraged travel and stuff, we need to experience stories and genres or um, techniques of storytelling that we've not really put much thought into and then figure out how to... Um, spice it up. Exactly, spice it up and do our own and what th what that can mean for the next time that we go to shoot a film. Does it mean, okay, does it mean instead of, you know, I shot my last film on all 16 millimeter uh, lens length for the entire film, does this next film mean that I shoot the entire thing at 75 and I'm super close to everybody all the time and don't give a sense of space at all? It, it's those sort of little um, changes and those little questions that we hopefully are spurred to ask ourselves watching um, uh, different content and experiencing content that, that is that effort plus risk equals better sort of formula um, approach to, to making content. What kind of questions does it put in my mind as a filmmaker and then how do I answer them? Mm-hmm. No, totally. I, th I was thinking there that uh, especially when you brought up about exploring like different stories and like where things sort of go that definitely seems to be a uh, much more in the vocabulary of critiques now today that they're, they're, it's a very valid critique now to, to sort of say that this is a story like like why are we visiting this story why this one like where where what is it coming from and why not take it somewhere else so just talking about uh these different sort of thinkings and and uh these sort of like taking what what has been said like the like the effort plus uh risk equals better and the light bulb moment going off i'm i'm thinking from a from the creative standpoint you could really craft something that it that just feels like joy to explore visually tying it back to Jermel's idea that it's like you watch it and it's like you're watching life in but like like in a in a different sort of way I know that I know I'm I'm just kind of like skirting around a point because I can't find the exact words I'm looking for here but I'm I'm trying to present the idea that like it's sort of like food for your eyes except the it's it's told through instead of it being actual food for your eyes it's like a different kind of story and like having these light bulb moments and sort of taking it off this path mm -hmm. i think that that is very important right now and sort of an essence of what we're discussing yeah and i think as an artist you're always like gonna you're always and now more than ever having to justify everything that you're bringing to the table. Yeah. Like, everyone's always like, well, why this film? Exactly what you said, Adam. Like, why is this story being told right now, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, why 
why make this story um you're gonna have to justify um your ideas the way you executed the ideas and the finished product and where you're putting it and who's going to see it and all this stuff your intended audience all these things um and i guess we we just really need to know kind of the direction of like what we're trying to say um because i don't know people in my family like we're all very creative and <laughs> um my my stepdad has this saying where he just keeps going he's like i've had enough with all this goddamn mediocrity. Yeah. <laughs> like, if you don't have something good to bring to the table, don't bring and anything. you don't believe in it, just don't bring anything to the table. Totally. Just stay away. <laughs> and I, I'm like, yeah, I agree. And like, it's different when you're just developing your own skills. It's like, that's fine. But it's like, it's like when you're applying for funding and stuff like that. Don't find the grant and then think of the idea exactly you, you think know of the idea and then <laughs> use the grant use the use to... the right grant for that idea exactly like have the ideas in your back pocket develop the ideas have those projects there then you know keep an eye on the grants when you see one comes along that fits in with your idea then you apply for the idea you don't look at the grant and say well our our company could do something for this grant. Let's let's put it in for it, and then when you get the money, you go, okay, guys, we need to get a project together because we got this money. And that's when mediocrity happens, exactly. and it's just so painful. And you can tell, you can tell <laughs> when it's like that. Well, in one of the last recorded interviews he did, um, Anthony Bourdain talked about the idea of being much more okay and much more wanting much more to fail spectacularly than succeeding uh right in the middle and succeeding mediocrely and i yeah. i completely completely understand that um i too w and i think the the rest of us here are in the same boat we all would rather fail knowing we went way over the edge toward the next step and the next level than just just dotting the i's crossing the t's making sure we did exactly what the grant or the competition or the assignment if it's a student film asked us to do well yeah yeah and then in my opinion guys going off of uh, what miranda was saying there's a lot of things being made now more than ever because yeah. it's so accessible like we carry. I was having a conversation with another filmmaker, Tom Groom, at a Jesse set, and we were saying like it's pretty crazy that we have 4K cameras in our pockets. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Like that's not like if you go back 20 years and then you know you show them what we have now, they would probably start foaming at the mouth because it's like, oh, what? You just have that ready to go at all times. Why aren't you using it more? So it, there's a danger of things being oversaturated, right? And it kind of is. You know, there's so many short films and so, so many, many. Um, yeah. skits and vlogs and all this stuff that mm -hmm. then <clears throat> some, some and there's a lot of good ones. But there's, there's a lot more bad ones. A lot more bad ones. A lot of good ones, but a lot more bad ones. And exactly. It's more now more than ever, in my opinion trying to you know the, the for, trying to do the formula that Adam was saying earlier in order to be better is 
needed because it's now way harder to stand out because before you know if you do one or two things you'll stand out by default because there's not a lot of other people doing it but now so many people are doing it so you have to you know take that next step on the ladder so people can see you better well and i think what's different um i this is a bit of a two-part thought on on my behalf first Jamel, in response to your to your foaming your thought about foaming at the mouth 20 years ago i am old enough to remember uh when a camera in your pocket meant a polaroid you know it meant this big and i know and i know that they're <coughs> still around but there was a time when that was the portable camera it was a big bulky box that you just sort of you know spat out a, ca- a photo and shook it so it developed and there you go there wasn't this there wasn't a, a there was no thought you know on the horizon of like we're gonna have like you said an 8k camera or a 4k camera in our hands um the coolest thing on the market at one point was a disposable camera the idea that you could just rent it for the 20 minutes you needed it grab the canister of film inside and throw yeah. it out it was there was no sense of investment there but um I think the other thing that's interesting about all this talk of the formula that you've coined here, Adam, it's a really interesting formula, actually. It's And it brings to mind the thought for me that making good content and what, what, me, what good content means is now so much more qualifiable and explainable to somebody who has that question than it would have been 20 years ago because there is so much content out there and it's so easy to make something that we have very clear marks of okay this is great this is good this is eh, and this is just bad don't even well i mean a lot of it's luck too there's a lot of you know there's a lot of mediocre artists that are that are very lucky too and there's a lot of really great artists that are invisible yeah and um, I'm not trying to throw shade at mediocre artists that have a lot of traction publicly, like that good for them. But it's like, it is a really hard market. Like, and it's hard to get your stuff seen, especially when you're, you know, I don't know, putting a lot of effort into things and no one ever sees it. But it's like, it's got to be and- the right time too, because like, that's what we were talking about failure too. It's like, you know, there there's a lot of reasons why something could fail. It might not always be because of you maybe a whole bunch of other um whole bunch of other uh, variables like exactly market or and, and or uh, all those things yeah and there's lots of films that became famous 20 30 years after they came out totally because the time just wasn't correct like back then it was just huh the hell is this and now it's like oh i get it and it's oddly actually way closer and, and relevant relatable, and relevant yeah, yeah. relatable 20 years later than when it initially released so, what's a good example yeah. of that? I'm trying to think. John Pays. John Pays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Blade, the first Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more like now, but back then it was, it was meant it, for it, people. It bombed. It yeah, straight bombed. up bombed at the box office. Like, 2049, um, <laughs> did about the same. It's opening weekend, I think. That. The um, the Blade Runner did total, I think, 
and that's just a, that's just a little bit of perspective for the the change in the medium and our business of what's considered a success mm-hmm. you know versus because back then i don't have the, i should pull the numbers up in front of me and just to just to get a sense of the budgets but i think i can imagine that the original blade runner was like a quarter of 2049's budget and like i said for what it made in the opening weekend the two of them, uh, yeah. 2049 is considered a massive success. And it made the same amount, I think, that Blade Runner did total. So Blade Runner, the original, uh, had a budget of $28 million, And Blade Runner 2049, um, the budget was between 150 and $185 million. There you go. And, and they so- grossed 92.1 million. So they did not make back. Make any profit? Yeah. They didn't make back, but uh I'm trying to see here. <clears throat> Blade Runner the original did make back. They got 33.8 million. Interesting. And yet it's still technically a bomb, which is weird to think that it it made back its budget and then some. And Wor- it still failed. Word has it, it was just my mom going every single day the whole time it was in theaters. She went like <laughs> probably at least ten times to see it in theaters. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just my it's mom funny. keeps going. Like she, I, I think she told me she saw it once, like three times in one day because she kept like seeing it with different friends. Wow. And she was like really into it, and I'm like, "Why are you such a dork?" <laughs> she did that um, with Star Wars too. She's such a sci-fi person. Yeah, um what's it called? The Oh, what was I gonna say? Would yeah, I don't know. Blade Runner is <laughs> Sorry. It's a good example we were kinda of what we're talking about. You know, big yeah. Hollywood movie, lots of money behind it. It took a good risk. It's still trying to be better, yeah. Trying it's to... still like I didn't watch that movie and go, ah, they didn't push it far enough. I actually went and I was like, Holy shit, I am taking cues from that movie. Yeah, sure. But did it do well, like, in the, to the general public? No, because, I mean, I don't know, obviously, what other people have said about it. I, I've only heard, you know, other filmmakers' perspectives, and well, pretty much all of them liked it. Um, but, you know, people I hated like... it, personally. It was my least favorite movie ever. <laughs> oh, nice. I don't believe a word of that. So, yeah. <laughs> like, for example, my parents, they're, they're, they love movies. They When they're off, they would just... Sometimes they would just watch movies. That's like their thing. They didn't like Blade Runner at all because it was way too slow. It's just people to them. It's just people talking. And I'm like, oh. fair enough. There's a lot of that. <laughs> but I, from that perspective of like a general public, times that by thousands and thousands of people, I could see why it didn't do as well money wise. Yeah. I'm curious what those... I'm going to look those numbers up and adjusted for inflation. I'm curious <sighs> what they would be today. Wait, are you trying to say, Jermel, that there are people in this world that don't think like we do? Wow. Shocking. Yeah, wow. Holy shit. <laughs> people don't That's... think about the, the, the technical structure of films and the emotional like connection you have to each character. They, you're saying <laughs> they just go to watch a movie? 
And then Leo? Yeah, what? Evil this is so weird to me. What? I'm learning this for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Wild, what do you wild. Mean, you wild. people don't analyze things. Wait. <laughs> the thing is, when yeah. I watched it, I actually watched it. They go in. No, you you went in and you you enjoyed it as a fan. I was gonna say that most people they base off their is like yeah I had a good time like I I have a friend who like my my good friend I've sort of converted him into thinking more about film. But before he told me that he used to base it like off of yeah I enjoyed my time watching that and now it's become like more so like just from me talking and pointing out things and maybe not letting him have that opinion anymore you're um, not allowed to have this definitely more friend <laughs> definitely he he said that uh um it, it was just based off of pure enjoyment and if he didn't enjoy it it was not good and if he did it was it was amazing mm. yeah very, oh yeah it's, it's very like coin flip one or the other that's it yep so yep. the adjusted gross for blade runner was 85 million I believe that's just North America it doesn't it doesn't specify um, but it might not be any well, it says adjust- USD so it's like yeah I'm looking at the box office mojo numbers though and they've got adjusted and unadjusted so it's mm. I, and then the adjusted gross for 2049 was only 91 so they didn't um, so they didn't do that differently overall. No, it's roughly the same. Well, the demographic is very niche, right? <clears throat> You're totally, appealing to a sure. certain sort of demographic, and that certain sem- that blah that certain sort of demographic is going to see the sequel. Yes. Or it's appealing to s- people of the similar, you know, that similar type of personality or a those similar sort of interests yeah. yeah exactly and that and that in itself is a, a risk it is a, risk. a lot of effort in that risk but yeah i guess we're making it back <sighs> to the risk success totally. yeah so and there was this, um a tweet that i read recently by gene the guy who made guardians of the galaxy the director for it, james gunn i think is his name yeah uh i follow i follow him on twitter he's pretty active uh he was talking about success and what you base that off of on his tweets. He, it was like a three-parter Twitter thread. <clears throat> um, his, one of his first things that was that got made that he wrote was Scooby-Doo the movie, the live action. Yep. I remember that one. And Oh my God, that's my favorite movie <laughs> ever. What the heck? Again, I don't believe a word of that. <laughs> Shut yeah. up, I really liked that movie actually. It was it's a fantastic fave. the first one. Scooby-Doo is real in that movie to me. And, and versus one of the other ones that was me. I forgot which one it was. I had to pull up the Twitter uh, thread. Anyways, the Scooby-Doo one, um, it did well financially, but everybody shit on it. Critically, critics, yeah. Yeah, critically shit on it. They were like, this is awful. What the hell is this movie? Why does Scooby-Doo look like uh, Nightmare Fuel? You know, stuff like that. I take back um, my comments about liking this movie. <laughs> Just kidding. And then he had this other X movie where everybody loved it, but it bombed. And that also took uh, a hit on his ego. Yeah. So after those you know, two experiences, he realized that what he learned from that is the only thing you can do is what's in front of you. 
uh, you know, what's in pre-production, what's in the production, what's in post, and then that's it. That's all you can do. And, <clears throat> you know, you could do everything you can during those parts, but as soon as it's out there, your measure of success is going to be um, going to be relative to what you define success as. Yeah, totally. So, you know, that's, I don't know, which is interesting because for me, success tends to be um, what you get out of it. Yeah, what you get out of it and how far the film went. For sure. In terms of, you know, the amount of legs that it was, how far, you know, try to give it legs, how far did it go kind of thing. That's, to me, what success is for a project. And someone else, they might go, well, that's dumb. Success is how, you know, how much money you made. Or how the critics you, feel. Or how the critics feel. Or, no, that's dumb. It's about how, what people said about it, like the general audience. So, yeah. It's success is like a fickle thing, pretty much is what I'm trying to get at here. Yeah. And the only thing you could do is what we've been talking about is just just take the risk and just push it as far as you can. You know, better to yeah. end up as one of those things instead of being mediocre, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to fail spectacularly, basically. I want to do a little a little mini game. <laughs> In the, in the middle of the episode right now because I want to I wanna define my definition of success and I want each of you to do the same because I want I want the listeners sure. to know how different it could feel. Sure. Um, oh, okay. So my definition of success... Okay, so my of, definition of... Okay, Jarrell. <laughs> 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 nice. nice. I'll go first to uh... set a good example because I'm not rude and don't interrupt people. Thank you. Okay, so... um. Yeah. Everyone's mad at me. Oh, thanks, mom. <laughs> she brought socks. Okay, Aww. I love I love socks. Okay, they're underwear too. Okay, so <laughs> my definition of success is basically like okay, so for my perspective, like where I am right now in this world and like the projects that I do, my definition of success is kind of the comments that I get from people, how people that I care about and that I respect and that I admire feel about my work and also how I feel about it um, after a period of a couple of months of not looking at it and not being ashamed. <laughs> not ashamed, but not criticizing it too harshly. At that point and saying yeah pretty good not and the typical artist hating their own work after yeah not made it. not being like this is disgusting <laughs> and this is a disgrace um basically every project except my most recent project i sort of feel that way about so i'm i'm growing i mean that's not a bad thing either because it, it you're it shows self-awareness to some degree totally when you look and at growth. your stuff and you're like that part is the part where the movie tanks and then you just don't do that again yeah exactly or you try to do it better but anyways exactly. that that's basically me it's, it's mostly about like people i respect and like their opinions 
and and kind of like if they if they have noticed that I have improved, then I win. That that that's like a win in 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 my opinion. For sure. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. Okay, so I my guess for me, I uh, success. Thanks, Jermel. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jermel. <laughs> so, uh, well, I w- I think for for me, uh, kind of playing off of what Miranda had said. Right now, I've sort of written off a lot of uh, like financial success. Like at this point, like none of my films have ever made me money. In many cases, sometimes I'll be in debt for a long time post a movie. Like like post movie, like like I end up ha- like having to eat quite a bit of the like the losses and just being broke. But the for me, what's really important would be the um, the growth that I made during it and what I took away from making it. Because I feel like if I had ever made something that necessarily didn't push me further or didn't help reach or help me learn something that I could really walk away with and and sort of be about like sort of know that that's what this film was about post it all being done and post it being like released to everyone um if I feel like I didn't learn anything or it didn't really like aid my uh understanding of who I am of uh, as an artist or who I am as a filmmaker in this early stage then I would consider it a failure and there's only really one that I have that I, I I'm sort of like I, I, I joke about it personally just like uh, it's a movie that has a, a beginning and an end with no middle and like it's sort of like I make I make that joke just to sort of cope but it's definitely one of those things where uh, it has to have taught me something and uh, has given me a better perspective for making my next project. There's like I always want there to be a, a next away. project. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and any sort of comments I get uh, are mo are like like little bonuses in this in this case. So like uh, with my last one, the that that played at IOU, uh, that unspoken thing. I think the best I ever the best review I'd ever gotten was I got a random text from uh, Finn one day another local filmmaker and he gave me like a whole breakdown and like it was like majority of it was like really positive and like Finn and I like 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 we just joke around and I've never really had like a like a true sit down and talk with him but like in that moment to like have another filmmaker who is in the same sort of setting as me like just gush and and share like feel the need to share their opinion yeah. with me about it like that that was such a like personal victory for me yeah that's awesome totally yeah that's mm-hmm. pretty cool adam yeah it next oh i didn't know i didn't know finn texted you about it actually i wasn't aware of that yeah, uh, it was when finn and and jesse were like like when jesse slept out would, would be sleeping over at his place when they were filming uh in the pines a lot he they had shown it after and i immediately got a text like after about i guess they probably had a long talk about it and then sent some of the stuff my way that was probably one of the best uh some of the like truly best feedback i have ever gotten was like that and uh i hope in the future to get that from 
a wide variety of people. I th- I think just that excitement and that um I guess excitement's the best word to to use and having like having that be directed back towards me having seen it was was just so rewarding. Yeah. Well, there's something about the idea of a peer giving you feedback, especially if it's one that and I mean, we're we're in such a small circle in this city and in the groups that we run in specifically that we all really respect each other and admire each other, but if there's one that one in the group that you, you know, that you really admire that extra little bit and they're the one I I I can't speak for you and Finn Adam, but just for me personally, if that person was the one to send me a text like the one you got, that would mean just a little bit extra to me than had it been another friend that I work with all the time. Just just because they're that particular person that for whatever reason has sort of raised the bar for me a little bit, if that makes sense. That's probably a good idea. Like probably the better way to put it is like that that other person sort of raised the bar within yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely what I would aim to keep doing is like raising the bar within myself. And almost in that case, it was validated by a peer saying like, like commenting on the improvements. And uh, for me, like the line was like your best work to date, excited to see more that that was the best. You had this moment of, okay, I'm, I'm on to something. Yeah. I, I hit, I clearly, I succeeded with what I was trying to hit. And uh, at least one facet was was communicated clearly and uh, was effective. And that's all you can hope for, I think, to some degree, is just just one one facet being the one that lands. Mm-hmm. I've off for some of my other projects, I tend to sort of base them off of something like my project suck it and see for the ending I really wanted that to land and I I had even said like out loud to multiple people that if people don't understand the ending or don't really connect with it then I failed and I haven't heard anyone that has had a like negative feedback about the ending I didn't get it no I'm kidding I hate you Miles <laughs> and that's when Adam left the show god damn there you go. Who's next? Jamel? Well, Jamel sort of already talked about his... But I don't know. Do you want to reiterate it, Jamel? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my definition of success... Oh my god, this bit is dead! Yeah, this so my definition of success... <laughs> so that's what it feels like. Good, good little Dark Knight. I know what cool. it feels like to feel okay. pain. Um, <laughs> go ahead. So... I guess the definition of success for me would be like if film that I make because I usually what I do is I set bars for um, the project right uh, and whatever that bar is that tends to be what the definition of success will be for that specific project and you know, it, it, it depends on what it is. Uh, for example, the very, very, very first short that I made, my bar was, I'm just going to make something because I can't really call myself a filmmaker if I never made films. That would almost be an oxymoron, right? So that was the bar. I made the short, therefore I succeeded because I passed it. And then that's what I do for each one of them. I set a specific bar for each film. Um, 
So <clears throat> my definition of success will be if I uh, either met or passed it. So that would be mine. It's typically the one bar that I have set now, um, being out of school for a year, is what can I do outside of school? Because so far, all of my recent sort of, I guess, quote-unquote successes have been school-related in some sort. This is the first time now where I've actually been out, and I want to see how far my projects get out there, so to speak. You know, how, how, how much of a spread can I can I do? Uh, how much of a reach can I can I get? Um, so yeah, that would be sort of my definition of it. And then it'll kind of just depend on project to project on how on uh, how much of a bar I'm willing to set. Um, my last one, not the one I'm working on now, but the one from last year. Yeah, no, that one, in my opinion, for example, didn't meet my bar. Therefore, to me, it was a failure. My last short. So. Like the one we just shot? No, not that one. That one, uh, the one that I'm shooting now oh, okay. is called Why Winnipeg. It's a mockumentary. Um, that one, there's, there's no... It's not out there yet, so it's the, I, that I wouldn't count it. I'm talking more for Hero, which is the one that I did a year ago, as soon as I graduated school. Yeah, to mm -hmm. me, that film didn't meet the bar that I set for it therefore it wasn't a success some people it was like yeah but this and I'm like no that's fair and I could totally see why y you would see it that way but you know I set a personal bar for it that it didn't meet or surpass so therefore it, it wasn't a success for me and that's how I view it yeah and that's always super hard too Oh man too bad I love that fucking film yeah it, it's in it you know, you were talking about it just now, um, how you there's a film that you grow not to hate. That one I didn't grow to hate. I still watch it once in a while. I go, it's pretty good. And then, so, that, that, that part of it, that aspect of it I'm proud of because I didn't grow to hate it. I grew to dislike what happened to it, not the film itself. Yeah. It's interesting, Jermel, to me that you consider meeting the bar and not just passing it as success. A lot of people would go, "No, I have to, I have to, I have to leap over the bar. I can't just meet it. I have to achieve above it." And I find it really cool, like sincerely, really cool and and humbling and reassuring, personally. That yeah, just meeting the goal is enough of a success. Like I hadn't really thought about because I'm one of those people that I just talked about where it's like um, and I'll just use this to segue into my definition I'm one of the people who's like I have a goal I need to exceed said goal in order for it, the movie to be a success but recently I've come to realize that um, the goals I set aren't always going to be met because there's going to be a number of things that, that <coughs> get in the way of that are out of my control. So now I, I sort of have a two-fold definition of success because I work both as a filmmaker and an actor. So for me, as a filmmaker, it's is it the film that when I sat down with my team and we talked about it and we massaged it and we rewrote it and we did everything we needed to do is it the film that we wanted to make? Not is it a good film? Not, uh, it, you know, 
If it's comedy, is it funny is obviously important. If it's funny, cool. But is it the film that we wanted? Is it the film that when we talked about and said, here's the end destination, did we get there or close enough to that destination um, that we're all happy? And if the answer to that is yes, then that to me is a success as a filmmaker. And then as an actor, and I guess to some degree as a filmmaker too, as an actor for me, it's the idea of um, if you as an audience member come in having a, a particular thought and uh, philosophy on the subject matter, we'll take uh, John Wick as an example because it's the first thing that came to my brain. Oh, movies about hitmen have been done. There's no good <coughs> ones left. Blah, blah, blah. If, if you come out of that movie and your perspective is changed, be that, oh my god, hitman movies are amazing, or oh my god, they're even worse than I thought they were before I saw this. As long as your perspective and your perception of whatever the subject matter is has changed in some way for me as an actor and to a lesser extent as a filmmaker, um, that to me is a success. As long as I've shifted... Uh, thought processes and achieve the film that I that my team and I wanted to make then I'm happy I've succeeded yeah totally I'm like I'm like at that point too where it's like uh like with my films I just kind of look at it and I'm like okay it succeeded if it's not some weird fragmented version of a short story and it actually makes sense coherently. Yeah. Then I've succeeded. <laughs> and I know that's hilarious. But that was a legitimate problem for me in my developing filmmaker years. It's like you, people used to watch my films and be like, I don't get it. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Half the story is still in your head rather than on the screen. Yeah. And that was my biggest fear with my uh, most past uh, film, The Replacement. I was like, oh, man, I just really fucking hope it makes sense. Hope it lands, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then sure. I think it I think it does. But I was so scared for a while there. And the edit really helped. But I was like, ah, uh, it's not going to land. But uh, it, I think it does. I don't know if I've ever really had that necessarily. And maybe that's like, like, like well, one of those weird, you, like, I never really thought about it. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Like, I like, I, I do, I do really want to get into this because, like, for me, it's like, like, I always focus on like one or like one moment. I'm sure I've had a conversation with all, like, each of you, uh, and or maybe even on this podcast before about like your one moment that you get, and that for shorts, it's like all about that yeah. one moment. So I feel like, um, in my head at least, I broke down the story to at least achieve said one moment. And maybe I saved myself a little bit of uh, issue. But now having thought about it, I'm like, oh, God. Some of those earlier stories where I was just sort of, like, tr trying to be hip Trying cool. to prove. Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, oh, God. Those those probably aren't aren't hitting it. But there, there's a few of them. Like, even when I look back at certain things, um, I do think that in some way, shape, or form, I've always attained that goal. That I've always communicated one thing to an audience. And I suppose that's, again, going back to like what you mentioned, Adam, about the idea of one thing landing, sometimes that's enough. And oftentimes that's enough. As long as one thing lands, 
whether it lands positively or negatively, I don't care anymore because I can't control that. What I care about is does this one thing and hopefully does the whole thing land. So. Yeah, I feel. That's I fair. I feel, uh, yeah. I, f I feel the same. Miles, have you ever had something that uh, you got like negative reviews on? Because Jamel and I, uh, we got we got something that we did for our forty-eight, the forty-eight hour competition. It got some pretty like almost outraged like like re response from really? some people. For n yeah, some very right? guttural Actually, this and is an important thing to talk yeah. about. I feel like it might Should be topical. Should we hold this for after the break then? Yeah, sure. Uh, we're gonna go to break now, guys. Here's some lo-fi and Adam with a trivia question to which you'll hear the answer on the other side of the break. Okay, for this week's questionarium, it is about everyone's favorite coin, the quarter. Why does it have ridges around it? Little knit, like little nicks around the entire quarter. I don't know. Do you? Well, Adam does because he looked it up. But uh... also, also Google. Just you don't have to listen. You should have to Google this. Hi. And welcome back for the ad break questionarium. So before the break, we asked you, why do quarters have the little ridges? Well, originally, uh, coins were made and they were valued at how much the metal was made. So what some really stingy people would do was cut little ridges into it, taking little um, like shavings and melting it down into their own coin. So the coin companies that were printing it just made them with the ridges already. And even though that that practice has died, it has been kept on as tradition to this day. Oh. Huh. Hit the jingle. Hit the jingle. <laughs> All right. It's so cheesy and small towny too. I like it. No, no, no. Like, it's good. That's exactly All what right. I envisioned. I'm just going to leave that as is. So, I'm not even going to bother to make a new one. Yeah, just just keep it. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, 
So it's always you doing the jingle. (laughs) And it's different every time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But it's, like, remotely similar. Anyways, um... Okay, go ahead, Miles, sorry. No, I was just gonna say, Adam, you were having a thought before we left about your film, Nailed It. Well, I was just asking you if you had ever gotten some, like, actually quite outraged or, or like, like pu- strongly pu- public negative. Ridicule. Not, uh, maybe not public ridicule, that's a little too far, but we definitely got, I've, like, I've like someone cut a promo about our, our oh, stuff. Geez. That's never good when so, someone cuts um, a promo. Um, I have, so, actually. Oh, uh, yeah? Uh, uh, it, was on, it was also a 48 film. Um, it was the first one we did, but actually... In a, in a and I'm totally comfortable talking about this because we've we've climbed over the the hill of it as a group and really moved on. But um, our first production for 48 was I'll try and give the abridged version. It was tumultuous. It was rough. It was hell in a cell uh, to use to tie everything together with the wrestling metaphors. Um, some of us had come in with an idea ready to go, others hadn't, and those with the idea ready to go, I'm not going to mention names because it's unimportant, uh, wouldn't back down, so they badgered the rest of us into doing the film. The film came out, those of us who didn't want to do it saw it and were like, this is garbage, we should all be ashamed of ourselves based on the process that went into making it and I defend because I was one of the writers on the product I wasn't necessarily the one who was completely gung-ho but I was one of the writers um, I defended the film and then in hindsight went yeah there's like uh, three four years later now I look at it and I go it's an okay film it's not a bad film but knowing what I know about the process behind it, yeah, I get that. I respect the slag, and it was well-deserved. Yeah. Um, that's like... Yeah, that sounds similar to something I experienced, Miles. With, like, my old film company. And just kind of, like, the... The, uh... The different paths we took after certain projects took place. But, um... Yeah... For Adam and uh, Jermel, you guys, like, did experience a little bit of, like, it was never outwardly said, this film is this way, but it's like, man, this film sure feels like it's like this, and it's kind of weird. That's well, what I from, got, from at least. Where it came from, from from where I heard about it was, uh, Jesse was on some other set where I think one of the panelists for... Oh, I forget where it was, but we sent it off somewhere, and it didn't get in because of uh, one opinion that, in hindsight, like when we got the criticism, it like it it was pretty valid. Like I I would say it's valid, and at the time I was pretty upset receiving it, but now I understand. But it 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 sort of like like the way that that it was explained to me through Jesse was that it was a pretty aggressive stance, and that it was uh like almost like they, they, they were trying their best to make sure that it like wasn't seen anywhere which like no like like you were saying miles like knowing the process behind it and being a part of the process and what went into it and 
and uh, obviously the time constraints of having only 48 hours to produce it maybe you know another rewrite or if this had been brought to our attention like the criticism could have been brought to our attention earlier we might have been able to or change something change some things yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it it would have been something different but in in this case i guess i guess we don't really have to be too coy no, just, about just it for nailed it, it. <laughs> um the story follows like one guy and it's and it's a bit of like a like a misleading story where you think he's going after the girl and uh he he sees like her decorative nails and he's he kind of comes off like a bit of a dweeb and then he he comes back later in the day after seeing the grocery store clerk the first time um and there's a bit of a red herring with another worker who works there and basically at the end it's it's a uh, revealed that the guy who you think he's like trying to get her he he's a killer and he he was looking at her nail because he collects them and he he like that like that's that's the that's, it's that's like the a big serial twist, killer right? thing so the where, like they take like a that's trophy. His trophy yeah it's the it's the finger yeah it's his trophy and they put the, he puts them in milk jars huh which is sort of like, I guess, what you guys are going for was that the the symbolism of milk in lots of films that naivete, that sort of like that sort of like mm-hmm. not quite grown up sort of idea, of like it's false innocence in this case. Yeah, like his innocence in the in the movie. Oh, and and it was totally designed to be like a shocking thing. Like at one point, when like I hate to say this, but we like we found a bit more of a tasteful way to murder off this girl which is i shouldn't probably say that but like we you like the the red herring character is like a meat grinder like 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 he he he's like a butcher so like we spliced in like the sounds of like meat grinding and there was never any visual showed of it just the visual of someone grinding like 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 cutting meat with a meat saw and i think for some people the that that visual the misleading and then the the because the ending of the film is just the reveal that he is the murderer and like he doesn't have any comeuppance. But the film only is three minutes, so in many ways it, it, he it like we only sort of introduce the character and it is supposed to you are you are supposed to have a guttural reaction to it. It's just that like for some people like 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 the the person who had an issue with it really took offense to the idea that like. It was just like like a like another movie about a girl getting killed, and that it was glorifying the murderer, and that um, we were misled into being sympathetic with him, and that like like just all this stuff about like it being really negative, like a negative yeah. image of women on the screen. Which at the time when I, we had initially received it, I felt like it was incredibly unfair, and I was quite hot about it. But luckily, shout out to my cooler head girlfriend. Darla, she really helped me like talk through it and get past the like oh, we got negative criticism and really sort of understand what happened, where it comes from, and without the context that I have, haven't been on part of it, that uh, it really can be seen that way, and how being seen that way is like like why that reaction and the way that that person cho- chose to sort of not have it and to actively make sure that people didn't see it i understand it yeah for sure i don't know jamel do you want to weigh in a bit about it well yeah uh it's it'll kind of delve into the next topic that i want to talk about um and this ties in with everything that we're talking about today it's you know 
order to be better, you need to take risks. But you also need to consider the risk of taking risks, right? And failure. So, and failure. Um, and that what happened to Nailed It was kind of a, a pretty good example of it. Um, you know, it was kind of a risk taking it, you know, taking it that route. Um, and going back to what I was talking about earlier with James Gunn's tweets, how, you know, you have what you have in front of you as what you have, in, what you have control over. You make it, you do what you can with it, and then you send it out. How it's interpreted after that is completely out of your control, and sometimes that interpretation might not be what you intended. In this case, none of us intended it to be, um, you know, to, to make it seem like we're glorifying murdering people, specifically in this case, women. Obviously not anybody's intent. However, it was interpreted that way. It's hard to really say where the fault is, you know? And <clears throat> that's one of the risks of taking a risk because things that you do can be interpreted wrongly or just not, doesn't land the way you want it to or it doesn't do what you expected it to. So that could affect it in the end, which could then tying it up to our other topic affect your success you know all those things mush together and then suddenly the success and the bar that you set for it no longer uh, is can, no, can no longer be met yeah can no longer be met because what you had control over was interpreted wrong because it was interpreted wrong it failed because it failed and no longer succeeded well, domino effect right so well, that that I is sort of like the risk of taking a risk. I feel like it was definitely the interpretation too, <clears throat> where nailed it, um, did, um, quote unquote, fail as a film because it, like I I'm a woman and I was on set and, you know, the themes that were happening, like the story that was being told, none of it it showed up to me as like an issue. Um. And I think it was because you know the filmmakers you know what they're intending um you think that that's going to be what comes across and the fact that it isn't in the end um what comes across to you know the public is is you know unfortunate but it is you know it's it's something that does happen occasionally and like it, and i mean it's not anybody's fault and it's not necessarily a reflection of like you know people being bad people it's just like the interpretation and I don't yeah. know. Like even I mean I I love like the way that the film juxtaposes the murder with like the butcher slicing meat, but I also get like the gratuitous sort of judgment that that might generate from people looking at it being like, "Well, are you are you trying to say that women are just a piece of meat and that's all that they are and that you can sure. just cut them?" Yeah, that was that was the image that that they that they really were yeah. upset with. And but think... at the same time, you guys were thinking, "Oh, this is an interesting way to show, but not show." Yeah, yeah. yeah. like I misspoke earlier, where I was like, "It's the most tasteful way." Like it, it, it's ah, uh, I don't know. I, I think having ha having spent some time thinking about it, and even just reflecting now, I think we could have achieved this the same idea, uh, like with that same shocking having not using like that kind of imagery we could have used a different type of imagery and a different type of thing 
to get over the idea yeah. of what that we were trying to communicate, but just with the nature I think of in, a forty eight hour. Yeah, with the nature of the forty eight hour like <laughs> the idea Yeah, the idea came out of like us like 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 we all spent like an hour apart trying to write something and it was amalgamation of all the ideas and it just we didn't have time to really, you know, think this through and 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 sometimes it even changed like while we were shooting and like things were afforded to us things were taken away and just the the whole unpredictable <laughs> nature of it but at the same time if you want it to be seen as a as a legitimate film outside of the 48 hour contest because it did do quite successful within the contest just it was just like completely walled out outside of that uh, outside of that barrier yeah because I think when you take away that, oh, you only had 48 hours to make it, and you put it presented out there, that criticism then becomes way like 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 double or triple like more valid because then it's like, well, you you're you're trying to present it as not a 48 hour film co- like like thing. You're trying to present it as a as like like a short yeah. piece, and you have to deal with how people view it. It doesn't help like... that like the uh, sorry um, that the last. One of the last shots of the film, when the credits pop up, is five male filmmakers. It doesn't help the cause. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, yeah, it doesn't help. Sure. No, it doesn't. I, I feel like that's a risk that we may end up running into with... Because uh, we just we just wrapped a couple of weeks ago our production for this year's 48-hour competition. And there's a couple of jokes in ours that might uh, evoke a similar ire for different reasons. But I also feel like... I was thinking about this while you were talking about Adam, the idea of doing it differently. There was a there was a better way to do it, and then I wondered to myself, like, yes, there's a better way, quote unquote. But um, are you then compromising the story and your intent and your goals just for the sake of uh, holding someone's hand? Well, that's the thing I was just gonna say is that is that just being with like taking into consideration the political climate that we're living in um the social climate that we're living in too with all the movements going on especially around women's rights right now this movie might have been fine five years ago yeah this movie might have been perfectly fine and it might have been like yeah everyone's like eating it up like this is this is an interesting movie about a serial killer and i like the imagery and it works but now with all this stuff happening, with a lot of awareness being brought up about women's rights, this topic's a lot more sensitive. Yeah, so, and that we were that yeah. was straight up somebody's comment about it uh, was it's a good movie, but the timing is doesn't work right now. Yeah, and and at that point, um, like we don't live five years ago. Like it, it came out when it exactly. came out, and uh, I think I think you like while you, what you have brought up is true. I I do think like. I agree with what they said. Like it just the timing wasn't there, and in certain cases, the timing has to be there, and it just it just it wasn't there. Like it just the 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 imagery and and like the message, like the way that it had been interpreted, and once it has been like once you've been told about that interpretation, you can't shake it. You see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't unsee it, and then you're like, oh, oh no, and then, it just happened. Yeah, That's it, the it, craziest. Part, yeah, it happened. Just, it's just yeah. there. And I yeah. none of us at one point yep. said. Uh, yes, just killing. You know, that was never the point. The point of the film was we wanted to do something that turns the table at the end. 
we wanted to do um, yes, a setup a and then yeah we wanted to do a setup and then an unexpected payoff that's what we were aiming for the plot was sort yeah, of and because the plot that we came up with was just a sub was subjected to that idea not the not you know um, we had an idea where violence is great therefore let's make this movie okay so yeah. no. let's say okay the serial killer in the movie is female and the person that the serial killer kills is male is it different that reaction yeah. doesn't happen the reaction, no, the reaction doesn't happen doesn't immediately happen. exactly yes. I have actually said that before. I was like, if we casted, uh, it was Sydney Sabiston that plays the girl. If we casted Sydney Sabiston as the killer and the person that takes something from their victims, and Jack Meyer, the guy, is the one that uh, gets murdered. killed, yeah, it we would still end up at the same place, just without that specific. Um, I mean, here's reading. here's the Jermaine. Here's the to me at least. Here's the um, and I'm gonna be a little bit extreme in my example, but here's the. The uncomfortable truth of it is, if if the trophy had been his pe the victim's penis, you still wouldn't get the same reaction. No. Like, and well, I don't want to veer too political. That to me is almost as problematic as um, the other side. Yeah, exactly. I like that the movie doesn't play it safe. Like from my perspective being a woman because I think that it's an issue that we should talk about instead of just playing it safe and doing the opposite. I like that it's the way it is. Yeah. Despite the criticisms movie. that it got. In 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 the case of it all, like even the actors, like like Jack and Sydney had who had played like a couple in my movie, like it was like the the idea where it comes from was amalgamation of like the five people who made it. And, like, we had those two actors lined up, and, like, the joke was, oh, let's not have them end up together again, you know? So, like, what's the opposite of that? Well, they don't, you know, like, like one one yeah. dies. And then it, 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 like, like that's how it sort of, like, like it was even a trope on, like, like a thing of, like, a, like, of the film, like, one of the filmmakers, like, myself, and, like, the stories I like to tell was, like, a part of it. Like, in many ways, it was, like me spoofing myself that's that sounds so <laughs> gross i think you just found your title <laughs> well no, I, I get what you mean because oh, it was a spoof on you because it was like you tend to make stories about people and relationships but then we mm -hmm. added like the dark sort of more twisted sort of uh angle on it uh the mm -hmm. whole sort of more film noir crime type of uh mix into it and you get that movie. So that was kind of the intent. But their interpretation versus the intent don't, unfortunately, just didn't jive, so. Yeah, for sure. And I think at the end of the day, like this all ties back into like our ideas of like failure and just that these sort of things like Nailed It did push a lot of envelopes in, in a way, like push people's comfort zones. Um, it pushed you guys like physically being during the 48. And I think filmmaking is all about like pushing yourself and trying new things and and failing and succeeding and getting back up after failure, um, and going for the next one even better. So that's kind of like why we're telling these personal stories is to kind of like illustrate our points about the original thesis that was presented at the beginning, um, talking about being better. There you go. 
on that note, should we get the fuck out yes. of here? Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye. All right. Goodbye. Good night. Thanks for joining us on uh, season two, episode Stay two. fresh and um, friendly. Fair enough. I don't know what to do with that, but... Hey everybody, it's Miles from the Around the Craft Table team and you've just heard Season 2, Episode 2, Risk Plus Effort Equals Better. This week's episode was directed and executive produced by myself, senior produced and moderated by Miranda Moroz, features myself, Miranda, and Jamel Pasqua, as well as Adam Yasinski, as panelists. This week's music was done by DJ Quads and Nathan, and we have an exciting announcement for you. We've just been released onto Spotify and iTunes, so we're available on a lot more devices in a lot more places wherever you might want to listen to us. You can follow us on social media at ATCT Show, and we'll be posting new episodes every Friday. We hope you enjoyed this one and all the others to come. Stick around for next week where our own Jermel Pasqua will take us through a post-mortem of his most recent film, Why Winnipeg. It will feature our own Luke Roach as a panelist, as well as special guest actor Sidney Savison. If you